right. So I'm going to get you guys caught up on kind of where we're going to be today. Um, uh, last time I was here, which was two weeks ago, um, we were in Joshua chapter number 12, and we were in verses 7 through 24. I know that sounds amazing that we went from 7 to 24. That will probably never, ever happen again, but that was just the way that it worked out. Um, and what we found in that passage was God was basically recounting what had happened in Joshua and the Israelites' success, how they had attained their promised land to this point. The message was titled, Reflecting on God's Goodness. And we considered how the Lord had been faithful to his promise to them to provide the land for them. And we saw that it was in response to their faithfulness. They had been faithful to God. And we discussed how important our faithfulness is in our service to the Lord. And if we're having our hearts set on accomplishing or, or actually attaining our promised land, for us, our promised land is not a physical place. It is a spiritual place of fellowship with God. But we talked about how important it was for us as we're going to move forward in our journey or our quest to fulfill that desire to own our promised land, that there were, uh, there were enemies that were vanquished. And what we saw in the comparison of last time we were together was the fact that God kind of defined those enemies that were defeated. He defined them in three unique ways. He defined them by their land. He defined them by their lineage. And then he defined them by their lordship. And what we saw is we kind of compared, we took the same three categories and we compared their physical battles and their physical enemies to the spiritual ones that we face. And we applied the two. And what we found when we looked at the land was their land, just like our world today, guess what? Is deeply entrenched in sin. Unfortunately, that's the reality of where, where things lie for them and where things lie for us. And so we understood the fact that there was an issue that needed to be addressed. There was sin in their time that was not only prevalent, but also celebrated. And we find sin today is celebrated perhaps more than it has been, certainly since I've been alive. I'm 55 years old, and I look back and I've never seen it like it is today. But we know that there's something that must be addressed. Sin must be dealt with. For them, it was a physical area, but for us, it is a spiritual one. And for us, listen, the cultural rot that has taken hold of our nation is starting to seep its way into Christian lives. There are people that have allowed the things that the world says are okay, that the Bible says are not, and they become okay with those things. And there is a problem there. So we looked at the land and the wickedness that was there. Then we looked at the lineage. And in that lineage, what we saw was the fact that these Canaanites, all of them had the same origin. They all came from Ham, which was one of Noah's sons. And what happened, he had a son named Canaan. And all of these, are, are, are the, their lineage was from, 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 from Ham and through Canaan. And they were cursed. So this entire body, all of these pagans, all could take their heritage back to a single uh, uh, ancestor and his sin, a curse carried on into their lives. And interestingly enough, when you and I go to deal with our spiritual promised land, we have something that contends against us. And you know what it is? It's our flesh. The Bible says that this flesh and the spirit are in contention, right? They stand in opposition of one another. Well, guess what? Our flesh just happens to carry an ancestral curse as well from Adam and Eve that's in us as well. And as believers, God can cut that and separate us from the penalty of that sin. But listen, we're still living this flesh and we're still going to contend with sin. So we saw that. And what we saw in Joshua's story, there was those Gibeonites. Remember, the Gibeonites were the people that made peace with God. And what we see is the fact that through our salvation, through receiving Christ as our Savior, we, are, we make peace with the Lord. We change our lineage and we get out of the family of sin and into the family of God. Praise, praise the Lord. Then we looked lastly at the Lordship. The Lordship would be the seat of power. 
And what we saw was what Joshua did was he systematically dealt with those evil kings. He systematically dethroned them. And what we did was we compared it to our own lives, the throne of our hearts, what drives us. Listen, it should be the Lord Jesus Christ, but for most of us, we make, we make, the, we make the calls. We decide, right? I know what's best for me. I'll do what I want when I want. And in doing so, we deny the Lord that place that he deserves, which is the lordship over our lives. And the bad, the problem is, for so many of us, and I'm talking about Christians, because the Lord's not on the throne of our hearts, people live dissatisfied lives. Christians live dissatisfied lives. A dissatisfied heart, you know where it comes from? Ingratitude. Man, we're not thankful for our salvation. We deserve nothing. We don't deserve salvation. <laughs> that, that, so it's like, listen, our reasonable service is to give our lives a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. That's, that's what we should be doing. But we're not even thankful for what God's done for us, let alone our health, our strength. You know, we never appreciate things until they're gone. We can use our two arms because they're there, but guess what? If they were cut off, we would, man, if I would do anything to get my arms back. What just lose a finger? Man, I do need to get that finger back. But when we have it, we're not grateful. Right. And so an ungrateful heart that does not see what's been given, you know what it does? It creates an ingratitude. It creates a dissatisfaction. We start looking at our lives and going, you know what? This is what I don't have. And that I don't have. And this is wrong. And that is wrong. And this is wrong. Instead of going, boy, you know what I deserve? I deserve to burn in hell. I deserve because of the sins and the choices I've made and the things that I've done and the people I've hurt. Man, I know what I deserve. And man, there's no greater thing than to know the Lord. To have that gift of salvation and have the peace of God that passeth all understanding. And the problem is there's Christians that don't have that peace, though it's available to them because they've got their eyes on the world and they're frustrated with the fact that, you know what, it's not what I wanted. What we want doesn't matter. See, it's about what God wants for us. And if we embrace what God wants for us, man, we can experience the peace of God that passeth all understanding, man. You know what it tells us? It'll keep our hearts and our minds. So, if we desire, sorry, I kind of got off on a little tangent there, but it, <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> but understand, if we want to have the true joy, the true peace, the true love of God, man, the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be on the throne of our hearts. We have to dethrone ourselves. We have to say, Lord, you know what? You make the calls. You decide where my life is going. So as we go into verse number, chapter number 13, what we're going to be doing in this, in this portion is we're actually going to be hearing directly from God. God's going to be giving insight to Joshua on how it is they are, because right now they partially attain uh, or partially have control over Canaan. God wants them to fully possess it. We know that's his desire. That's what he wants for them. And so what happens is here, he's going to try to tell them what it is they need to do to get to that point. In our message this morning, which is entitled Unfinished Business. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you for the opportunity we have, uh, Lord, to have access to your word. Man, what a gift. What a gift to have the eternal word of God placed in our hands that we can hear directly from you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for what you've shown me this week. Lord, I have studied. I have prayed. Uh, Lord, I know that you've spoken to me. I believe that you have. And Lord, I'm asking you now that you'd speak through me. Lord, that I would get out of the way, that the human element of this message would be removed because I'll do nothing but mess it up. Lord, help me to set myself aside that, Lord, you might speak to us through your spirit. Uh, Lord, do a great and mighty work. And I pray that, God, you'd help us to glorify you through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let me get a sip of water because I got a lot of reading to do. Here we go. 
All right, Joshua chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Hey, thou art old and stricken in years, and there remaineth very much land to be possessed. This is the land that yet remaineth, all the borders of the Philistines, and all the Geshurai, uh, from Sihor, even uh, which is before Egypt, even under the borders of Ekron, northward, and is counted to the Canaanite, five lords of the Philistines, and the Gazathites, and the Ashtathites, and the Eshkelonites, and the Gittites, and the Ekronites, and also the Avites, and the Pretzelbites, and the, the, from the south, all the land of the Canaanites, and Mira, that is beside the Sidonians, under the effect of the borders of the Amorites, and the land of the Giblites, and all Lebanon toward the sun rising from Baal-Gad, under Mount Hermon, under the entering into Hamath, all the inhabitants of the hill country from Lebanon, under Mishroth Maim, and all the Sidonians. Them will I drive out from before the children of Israel, only divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance as I have commanded thee. Now therefore, divide them this land for an inheritance unto the nine tribes and the half-tribe of Manasseh. So we see, and we know there's two and a half tribes that are not going to receive this, not because they're not eligible for it, but because they chose not to receive it. And so as we pick back up with Joshua and the Israelites, what we can see here is God's preparing them for how it is they are to continue in this journey of successfully uh, owning and possessing their promised land. There's still work to be done. And so what he's doing for them is he's kind of laying out the details of what's to come. And he's going to do this with five reminders this morning. First, and these are my uh, paraphrased versions of what God's saying to him. And first, uh, God reminds Joshua, first of all, you need me now more than ever. Secondly, he says, keep your eyes on completing your mission. Third, don't, as, don't underestimate your enemy's strength. Fourth, trust me for the victory. And fifth, your job is to do my will. And so with these reminders in mind, let's get into what God has to teach us First of all, considering this, as obviously I phrased it, you need me now more than ever. Listen to verse number one. Now Joshua was old and stricken in years, and the Lord said unto him, Thou art old and stricken in years. Now, obviously based upon the way this introduction starts, what God's telling him is not news to Joshua, okay? It says he is old and stricken in years. Can I tell you, as somebody who is progressively getting older every single day, I don't need you to tell me... (laughs) I'm getting older. Uh, The aches and pains that just seem to come out of nowhere, they are good indicators. The fact that I get injuries, that I can sleep and wake up and have an injury, I'm like, where did that come from? I don't know. But the reality is, we don't need to be informed that we're getting older. Our, Our body tells us that we're getting older. So what we see and what I believe is happening here is Joshua is actually hearing from God. God's telling him, listen, informing him, not that he's old, but that, hey, Joshua, guess what? You're getting weak. You're getting weak. You're getting, getting vulnerable. You need to depend upon my strength. Okay? This is very important. Listen, he's saying, don't trust in your strength. Trust in mine. Because your strength is withering away. As we get older, guess what? Our strength decreases. Now, this is something that we've heard God tell Joshua before. Depend upon me. Depend upon me. Depend upon, and he's done so. I mean, we've seen him do that. We've seen him trust the Lord. We've seen these great victories take place. We've seen them marching through Canaan, battle after battle after battle. We saw the southern campaign, the central campaign, the northern campaign. But see, thank, now things are a little bit different. This reminder shows us there's been a shift. Before, remember, Joshua then, he was strong. He was sure-footed. Right? He was conditioned 
But see, now, now he's not so much. Now he's, he's showing his age. And so what happens, what so many times happens for us is when we are stronger, and this may sound a little bit weird, but we actually, when we're stronger, we find it easier to trust in the Lord. We find it easier to trust God. And what I mean is this. When we are um, filled with confidence in what it is that we bring to the table, we have a mindset that, listen, if things do go bad, I get in a scrape. You know what? I'm, I can probably get myself out of this if I need to. And what... And, I, I'm giving you an example just to help to visualize this. Is, there was a couple of years back in like 2008, I was in India preaching. And I was with some other guys, and we were, it was awesome. But we got separated. We decided we would go, and we would do some shopping. And where we were is a very poor, crazy place. So I'm walking around, and this random Indian guy comes up. He's like, oh, American friend, American friend. And I was like, oh, hey. And he starts talking to me and stuff. And he's like, and I was like what are you looking for? And I was like, I'm looking for some clothes for my kids. You follow me. You follow me. I'm like, Okay. So we just start following this guy, and there's just people all over the place. I mean, it is so crowded. There's just, and I don't know, we're totally lost. I have no idea. I just keep following this guy down all these alleys and all this stuff like that. And we're just like, dun, 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 dun. I'm like, man, I don't know where we are, dude. This is crazy. So we get to this point, and there's this building in front of us, and it's all black. It looks like if you're building a concrete building and you just quit. It's just concrete. There's no windows. There's no doors. There's no finish. Just concrete blocks. And he's taking us to this building, and I'm like, okay, here we go. All right, here we go. And so we get there, and there's stairwells, and the stairwells are on the outside of the building. And each stair we get to, I'm looking across, and it's just a black, empty building. And I'm like, hmm, okay. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, 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 you come, American friend. Come, 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 come. And I'm like, okay. Second floor, and I'm looking across. I'm like, no, there's nothing. This I'm just like, dude, there's some people upstairs waiting, and we're going to be rolling. I can feel it. I'm like, oh, boy. You know? <laughs> I was like, so at this, I'm praying, right? I'm praying. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take him first, and I'm going to do I'm, I'm planning how I'm going to do uh, I've got a whole plan of attack. I was like, you know, I'm, and, and what I'm saying is if I, if I was in a wheelchair, right, and I couldn't fight, I'd have to trust the Lord a lot more in that moment. But because I was trusting a little bit in myself, it made it okay for me to go, you know what, Lord? I'm going to trust you. But see, when we're in a place of complete dependence, when there's no backup plan, when there is no strength in us, then we reach a place of total and true dependence on God. And see, Paul describes this phenomenon. He gives it to us in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. And he said unto him, unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul embraces this truth. He says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But I want us to hear what God's saying here. Listen to this phrase. My strength is made perfect in weakness. God's saying that his strength is manifested in its most beautiful and perfect form through our weakness. How amazing is that? God's strength is manifested in its greatest form. So later, our weakness is where God's strength is developed. It's where it's, it's revealed. It's amazing. And so what, this is exactly what God's telling Joshua. You're old and stricken in years. Joshua, you're getting weak. You're getting old. You need to depend upon, upon me. But what's cool is that it has no bearing on them being successful. It has no bearing on them being victorious at all. So we've heard time and time again, listen, oh man, you know, we're so depend upon God, depend upon God. The victory is the Lord's. The victory is the Lord's. The victory is the Lord's. We hear in Romans 8.37, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us, through Christ. He is our victory. But if we're truly to succeed, truly succeed, is man, it is going to be because of God's strength. 
And it's when we get to the place where we look at the successes in our life, the successes in our family, the successes in our careers, and we start to attribute to ourselves that we're losing sight. Right? Now our heart's focus is, you know what? You know what? Man, I'm doing pretty good. Not God is good. It is the blessing of, of the Lord. Again, listen, if you are weak today, <laughs> if you are weak today, if you feel broken today, if you feel old and stricken in years, can I encourage you that there is no more fertile ground for victory than that? Don't go with this. Just go with this, Lord. You know what? It's all you. It's all you. Let me walk by faith and not by sight. Not by looking in the mirror and going, you know what? I still got some strength left. What if we just let it all go? And we said, you know what, God? I'm yours. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Praise, praise the Lord. The next, we see this. He says, keep your eyes on completing your mission. Verse number one continues. It says, there remaineth yet very much land to be possessed. Now, we've heard this and we go, whoa, I thought most of Canaan had fallen. Isn't this thing pretty much wrapped up? No. God says, listen, I have a goal for Israel. It is that you would possess the land as a whole. That's the promise. All of Canaan. To drive out the Canaanite, that they would completely possess the land. And I believe the reason why Joshua's telling or hearing this from God is because he knows our human tendency to settle. Now, in the two and a half tribes, we saw it graphically displayed for us, right? They got, they never even saw what God had prepared for them in Canaan. They literally stayed on this side of the Jordan. They looked around and they said, this is good. Oh, man, we, we have cattle. This is good land for cattle. Tell you what, Moses, what if you just say, we don't even want what God has for us. <laughs> We're good with this right here. Can we just go ahead and make a deal that we'll get this? This is good enough. We'll settle for this. And see, this is the problem. God says, hey, listen, I have something for you. But our tendency is to settle for what's less. Because, see, they picked the good land. But what was best, the best land, they never saw it. And see, in life, there's good, there's better, and there's best. And can I promise you that God always wants what's best for us? Always. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil. I don't want anything wicked to come upon you to give you an expected end. Listen, I have a desire for your life that's beautiful. I want you to experience the peace of God, the love of God. I want you to experience the fellowship with God. I want you to experience walking with me in beauty. And listen, he's saying, listen, I, I want you to, to experience these things. But see, what hinders us from experiencing the best is unfortunately. And so when we think about the best, this is what God wants for us and what God's prepared for us. Right? This is what's pictured for us in the Israelites. This is what's waiting on them. This is what I want for you. I want you to get there. But what happens is so many times we settle for, for good or we settle for, for better. Colossians 3, 1 says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your affections here, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. God brings us to a point in our Christian lives. This happens, sadly, more often than not, where people get saved. And man, they're on fire. They're, man, they're ready to rock. They're just like, oh, like a sparkler, man. They're ready to go. 
And then what happens is, man, they're going, you know what? I'm going I'm to learn the Word of God. And they start to get some understanding of God's Word. And they really start to get grounded in understanding of it. They go, okay. And they're really on fire for sanctification. You know what? I'm going to cut this out of my life. I'm going to cut this out of my life. I'm going to cut this out. I'm going to do all these things. But then what happens is complacency starts to work its way in. And what happens is we suddenly go, huh, you know, I just, I just don't have the time for the Bible like I used to. You know, I, mean, I used to be able to spend, like, I'd give myself like 30 minutes, maybe an hour, and i just read. But, you know, now I've just, I find myself, there's days that just, I don't even read it at all. My prayer life is just, it's spotty at best. And my zeal for holiness, well, it's, it's turned into kind of a comparison game where I look at my neighbor or my fellow church member, and I compare my holiness to their holiness. I compare myself to people. And what happens in 1 Peter 1, verses 14 through 16 says this, As obedient children, speaking to us, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Notice that. Not fashioning yourselves. Don't, don't orient yourself. Don't compare yourself. Don't set that as your standard, the one of the world. He's saying, listen, be careful. Because he knows that tendency and his sickness is not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. Listen, that's your tendency. This is what I need for you, verse 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. And then he qualifies, in all manner of conversation. Conversation in this context is talking about our life. All manner of life. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. What's happening? God is setting himself as the standard. He's saying, if you're going to follow what, figure out what the standard of holiness is, look to me. Yet, what we do is we judge our holiness by the standard of other believers. You know what? All I can say is I know I'm more godly than they are. Whew. And there's a sense for somehow crazy reason that becomes good enough. Good enough. I'm better than, than they are. But see, we're not supposed to shoot for what's good and what's better. We're supposed to be striving for what's best. And what happens if we don't strive for what's best? We miss out on what God has for us. Not because it's not available, just simply because we settle for less. Listen to this from Isaiah chapter 55, verse 2. He says, Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread? Why do you waste your money on things that are not essential? Amen. Next he says this, And your labor for that which satisfieth not. Right. Listen, you're spending your energy, your effort, and your resources on things that don't make a difference in eternity. They're not going to change your life. You're caught up in the things of this world. Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, the things that are good for you, the things that you need. Let your soul delighteth itself in fatness, that it would grow spiritually. You know what he's telling us? Hey, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. That's what he's telling us. Speaking to us directly, saying, hey, listen. Because like you realize, there is a war for the promised land. There is no doubt about it. We have a promised land we're trying to attain. It's holiness. It's walking with God. It's a spiritual place of perfection. But listen, there's this, this ongoing battle is nothing more than a battle for sanctification. It's a battle for holiness. And what God wants us to be conscious of is the fact that we're to set our sights on our goal, our goal of holiness. That's where our eyes and our attention must be focused, a place of fellowship and unity with God. Because if we don't, you know what will happen? We'll settle for less. We'll settle 
for less. Listen, when you go on a trip, if you remember when you used to go to see grandma, right? When you leave for grandma's house, your mom and dad don't go, okay, we're going to be in the car for a while and we'll see where we end up. No, they tell you we're going to grandma's house. And you know what? She baked a cake. She's got all the board games prepped. You know, she's got the dogs and stuff like that. And we're going to play with the chickens. That's going to be amazing. So they set the destination for us. Now, you don't get in the car and drive halfway there and go, this seems all right. What do you think, Motel 6? It's pretty good. It's better than sleeping in the car, right? But is it best? See, the reason why we get there is because we set our heart and our mind on the destination. We don't take our eyes off the destination. We go, that's where I'm going. And what happens with us is we set our sights on holiness, and then we get sort of okay, and we go, you know what? Nah, this is good enough. I- I'll, 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 settle. I'll settle right here. See, God set a standard for us to live by, and man, he's saying, listen, I'm calling you to be more. I'm calling you to set your heart on that very goal. My quest for you is holiness. Colossians 3, 2, set your affection on things above, not on the things on the earth. We focus our hearts and our determination on the end result of winning the war. While at the same time, not forgetting that there are battles still ahead. Which brings us to our, our third point. Do, don't underestimate your enemy's strength. Are you guys okay? Yeah. You guys are with me? Yeah. All right, it's very quiet. I feel like I'm in a library. It's good or bad. I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> All right. So here the Lord is going to give Joshua a reality check. He's going to say, hey, listen, you guys, you've done a lot. It's, it's great. You've really been great, very, very successful. But what he does is he then now gives all of these details of what remains, right? This is the land that yet remains. Are you guys okay if I don't read the whole thing? Yeah. Good. I figured you would be. You're like, don't, no, read every one of them. No, I'm not going to. Just sorry. Disappoint you. Um, so what happens? He gives us these massive parameters, right? He lays all of this out. And what's interesting is if you go through, which I did, and you track where all these places are, what you find out is he's basically talking about all of Canaan. He's basically saying, hey, listen, because recognize, they haven't gotten to the Philistines yet. He includes all of this. So he says, listen, the whole place is still yet to be conquered. And we go, well, hold on. But what about all the victories? What about all the things that have taken place so far? I mean, haven't they already defeated this king and this king and this king and this king and this king? But we notice in this description, there's no mention of kings anymore. There's no mention of kingdoms anymore. What it's talking about is the territory, the land. Because guess what? The population is still there. The population. They may not be organized. They might not have all the kings that they had before. All the big bag strongholds might be defeated. But listen, can I tell you that the pagan population is still there. Even though their leadership is gone and most of their armies are destroyed, the population that exists there, they are still defiant of God. They are still enemies of God. Whether or not they're organized or not, they still have the same heart. And what happens is what God's telling him is he said, listen, you need to deal with these. You cannot afford to leave this this population undealt with. Though the threat right now may not be a big army, but guess what? There's still threats. There's still threats. And you know what little threats become? Big threats. You give them enough time. right? Why do we go to the doctor for a physical? Right? You go for a yearly physical because they want to see if there's anything wrong. You don't take 10-year blocks. I'm going to do every, every 10 years. Every 20 years. Let's just see. No, we go because what is the goal? The goal is to find it early, 
right? The earlier you can see it, the more easily it can be dealt with. Those things that are ignored and just left to fester, guess what? They become disease. And it's like, oh, my word. You're stage four. We haven't seen you in a very long time. Listen, we do that. Listen, and the, 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 the very way it works with disease, well, just recognize that you and I are all infected with the disease of sin. Every single person. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come, come short of the glory of God. We all have an issue with sin. Now, we may not have the penalty of sin as born-again children of God. That's been separated from us. We've been cut away, right? The Bible talks about a circumcision made without hands. It's talking about us being separated from the penalty of the death that will come to this body. So this body's going to physically die. As a believer, listen, you're born twice. You'll die once. Your physical death, that's it. But you have a spiritual life that will go on forever. But if you're lost, you'll have one physical birth, but you'll have a physical death and a spiritual death, two deaths. And so what happens is God's saying, hey, listen, recognize the fact that there is something coming. There is destruction coming to those who will not turn their hearts to God. We all have this issue with sin. And understand, at some level or not, we're all dealing with it. It's some, uh, you know, variation. Some are in deep sin. Other people go, you know, I just got this little thing that I'm struggling with. This, this little bit of bitterness that's, for whatever reason, I can't just, can't quite, can't quite let it go. And see, we have to deal with it when it's just a thought. When it's just an imagination. When it's just a, a, a random uh, fleeting desire. Because understand, if we don't deal with them when they're little and we give them enough time, they will manifest themselves into something more dangerous and more destructive. The very thing that Josh was being taught. Because let me tell you, every broken relationship, whether it be a marriage, whether it be a, a friendship, a parent and a child, a brother and a sister, every one of those fractured relationships started with a tiny, tiny crack that was not addressed. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. Can I implore you, when it comes to sin, no matter how little and harmless this little whim might be that's in your heart, something you're struggling with, bitterness, anger, frustration, jealousy, whatever it is, deal with it while it's little, because I can promise you it is going to reap a destructive impact on your life that you do not want to face. The concept of sowing and reaping is biblical. It's in the physical world and it's in the spiritual world. Galatians 6, 7, and 8. We've, I've told you guys, you probably can quote them with me. right? Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. And he that soweth to the Spirit reap life everlasting. It is a principle that's always going to be true. And you know people that are involved in sin, people that live lives of dissatisfaction, frustration, all the garbage that they allow to fester in their hearts, every one of them thinks, I'm the exception. I'm the exception. I don't need to worry about it. Because you know the thing that's scary about sowing and reaping? It's not an immediate result. You don't sow and get a result right away. You sow, and then sometimes it's 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days until something starts to break through the surface. And there are people that have sown destruction in their families, and they may never even see it in their own lifetime, but then in their children's lives. Boy, here comes a sprout. Boom. And destruction rips people apart from choices that people make thinking, you know what, I'm the exception. 
can I just promise you there are no exceptions? That's why that verse starts off, be not deceived. Don't fool yourself. What you sow, you shall also reap. So we look at this and we say, okay. Then God next reminds him, number four, trust me for the victory. Trust me for the victory. This is verse number six. Then will I drive out from before the children of Israel. Okay, So though you are stricken in years, though you are surrounded with threats, listen, Joshua, remember that I'm the one that's going to bring the victory. And listen, can I encourage you today as a child of God? Joshua is a point of weakness, right? And what God's telling him, he's telling him, listen, you can be confident in the victory in your life no matter how weak you are. It does not matter because it's not you that's on the line. It's me. It's my strength that'll get you through. I'm the one that'll bring you through this. It's okay for us to recognize the threats in life. Yes, and we should. Remember, we talked about those kings. We talked about identifying those kings that were in those caves. What did they do? They exposed them. They brought them out into the light. Then they identified them by name. And then what they did, listen, and that's important, but recognize the fact that once we do that, we then set their fate to God. We don't deal with them ourselves. We say, listen, you know what? I'm going to trust it. Trust it to the Lord. Listen, this is in regards to our health, our family, our career, our marriage, our children. What happens to so many people is, man, after these enemies are exposed, after they're identified, what happens is many times we try to deal with it ourselves. And God say, no, 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 no. The solution is to let it go. Cast your care upon me, for I careth for you. Let me deal with the adversities ahead. Listen, when David saw Goliath, when he, when he came across Goliath, listen, he identified who he was. He knew who he was. He exposed him. He identified him. But when it came to battling him, right, that's not what David did. David could see and say, listen, you know, with my own two eyes, I see the threat that this guy <laughs> presents to me. I mean, goodness gracious, this guy's like nine some feet tall. Let's say David's my height, six feet tall. This is an eight-foot ceiling, or this is actually seven and a half feet. Imagine a nine-foot tall dude, probably 500 pounds, massive armor, gigantic sword, shield, spear, the whole shebang. You could see with your eyes and go, wow, there's a threat. Then he heard him. His big booming voice with threats of destruction. But see, what was David's reaction? We go to 1 Samuel 17, verses 45 through 47. And then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, and I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. This is what I bring to the party. I don't bring talent. I don't bring strength. I don't bring any kind of confidence in me. I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. He says, Whom thou hast defied. Right? What is sin? Sin is those things that defy God. We come against them. He says here next, verse 46, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and to the, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly, listen, all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear. This is not a physical battle for me to fight. I'm not here to do that. I'm here to trust God. I'm here to watch Him. For the battle is the Lord's. See, we hear that and we go, but man, it's a great, sounds good, makes a good t-shirt, great bumper sticker. But do we live our lives like the battle is the Lord's? Or do we constantly think about how we're going to deal with it? Are we walking with our fist balled up, ready to rumble? Or are we saying, you know what? God, this is yours. You deal with it. Recognize the fact that, man, this truth that we hear 
This is the same, the same God that we serve today. He has the same heart today. He has the same power today. Malachi 3.6 For I am the Lord. I change not. I change not. Man, how beautiful that He sits waiting on us to just simply put our faith and trust to let Him fight the battles that we have no business being involved in. It's okay to recognize the enemy, but you know when you see it coming? Don't get your sword. You get this sword, most certainly. But man, fall on your knees. We fired our battles from our knees. And God brings the victory. Man, it's the key. And then lastly, number five. Your job is to do my will. Verse six. Only divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for an inheritance, as I have commanded thee. Now, therefore, divide this land for an inheritance under the nine and half, under the nine tribes of the half tribe of Manasseh. God wants His people to possess their land. We know this is what God wants for them. But in order for them to do this, what's happening is Joshua is to do what God has commanded. He's not the one to determine if this is the time to distribute the the inheritance. Now, what's going to happen now if Joshua allowed his fears? to get a hold of him. Recognize, okay? Now understanding, hearing all that lies ahead, right? Knowing all that God just said, hey, just so you know, if you think you're on the backside of this thing, you're not. There's a whole lot more. In fact, the entire land still stands against you, Joshua. So if Joshua was like you or I, he'd go, well, uh, (laughs) was this the best time to disband the army? I mean... We've been pretty successful because we've worked as one big unified group. I mean, soldiers going into these battles. We've been able to, to dominate. We don't do all these great things. Is this the best time for us to split up and, and to send everybody back into their own individual parts of the land? Is, is that really what, what we should do? But see, God says it this way. Only, only divide thou it by lot unto the Israelites for inheritance. Joshua, you have one job. One job, only divide the land. Do it. Don't be concerned about the details or what lies ahead. And see, here's where faith and obedience come in. Because if, not, if we're not careful, fear will make our choice for us. Very, very easily. Many times we have reacted in moments emotionally. We've made choices that we can look back and go, boy, that was not... That wasn't the right choice. But in the moment, it seemed right. Because guess who was on the throne? We were. Do we really believe that God knows what's best for us? Or are we holding on to the delusion that we do? See, our pride and our our own sense of self-assurance will tell us that we absolutely know what's best for us. And can I tell you that the God of this world, he will affirm that thought Absolutely. Through every worldly friend you've got who will give you advice, who's ever gotten really bad advice from worldly people? Youch! Gaha! Exact opposite of what God would tell us to do. Or we can go and get some TikTok philosophy. Man, all the wisdom in the world is on TikTok. You have any question about anything, it doesn't matter. It's all there. The devil will use any garbage source he can to support our carnal thoughts. Every day, he's trying to reinforce things that are contrary to God's 
God's Word. And the Bible says in James 3.15, This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly. It is sensual. And the last phrase, devilish. It does not come from our Father. Wisdom of the Word, man. The wisdom of the Word. If it's not coming from God's Word, it's not the source. If, if God's Word is not the source of wisdom that we choose to follow, then we will choose our own will over God's. Now, what will happen is most times we'll spiritualize it. We'll make it sound godly. We'll phrase it in a way to, pro, uh, to, to tell ourselves and maybe tell others, well, this is, this is, this is good. This is, this is godly. It's maybe sort of godly. And what will happen is we do so because, listen, we want to convince ourselves that what we're doing is right. But if it's not rooted in biblical truth, can I tell you that it is not God's will. God's Word and God's will will never, ever, ever, ever contradict themselves. They will always be in alignment. God never contradicts Himself. He's always, always in alignment. So His Word and His will are going to be the same. So what we see is, if we're, to make, if we're making our choice for our life, okay, this, let's say this, how we'll raise our kids. The, the direction our marriage is going to follow. Perhaps the career, uh, the, 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 the type of employee we're going to be. Maybe what our sanctification is going to look like. We're deciding the parameters for how we're going to live our lives. Can I tell you, if they don't line up with Scripture, with don't line up with Scripture, they are not God's will. No matter how well you sell it to yourself, it is not going to matter. If it's not God's will, listen, the Lord's informing Joshua of his primary responsibility. This is this. He says to him, do as I have commanded thee. That's what he tells him. Your job only. Do this as I have commanded thee. And not by coincidence, Jesus Christ in John 14, 15 says this. If ye love me, keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. So this is not only Joshua's primary job, but guess what? It's ours as well. So let's ask ourselves, is that the way we're living our lives? Are we living our lives with our hearts set on doing the commandments of the Lord? Are the life choices that we're making, are they according to the will of God, according to God's word? Or are they according to what it is that we want? Listen, we've got to check ourselves every day. Because God, I promise you, every morning your, your flesh is fully prepared to take over. And if we're not surrendered to the will of God, your flesh will step in and it will take you wherever it wants you to take you. I've given you guys the analogy before and I use it in discipleship all the time. It's kind of like a cart and a horse. Our flesh is like, a, is like our, 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 our horse... Our, our, the, the horse is the flesh. And imagine that horse is hooked to a cart. And it's got a passenger. Well, listen, when we're born, we're born into sin. We're born into the flesh. I was raised for 34 years in the world. That's all I knew. I had no influence of God in my life. And you know what? The horse that I had on the front of my cart, man, he wanted to be involved in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And you know what? I knew no better, so I was like, well, I guess that's where we're going. Let's go. And you know what, man? That's the life we lived. And I went back and forth, and you know what? The ruts to sin were roaring. They were deep. I didn't have to, to control the horse. I didn't have to tell the horse where sin was. Man, it knew. I could go to sleep, and it would go right down that path. No problem. The ruts were deep. That cart had a hard time getting anywhere except for straight to that destruction. But then I got saved. And now I'm going, oh, horse, no, 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 no. We have a, no, no, no. We're not going on that path anymore. 
horse is like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, shut up, horse. Remember the term stiff-necked? Guess what? A horse doesn't wants to go its own way. It's stiff-necked. Right? And so here that horse is going, no, 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 this is the road we're going. That's easy. I know this path. Easy. No problem. I don't, this is not going to take any work. And now I'm going, no, 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 we're going into the woods. There's tree stumps and rocks and all kinds of garbage. But way over there, I can see Jesus waving. Yeah. Amen. He said, I got a new path for you. Amen. Hey, yeah. this is where you need to go. And in the morning, I wake up and the horse is like, okay, I know where we're going. I'm like, no, no, no. We're going this way. And it takes work. Man, it takes work because the horse is fighting as hard as he can. Because you know what he wants? The path of least resistance. I want the easy road. You take your foot off the gas, guess where you're going to end up? Right back in the ruts. And so what happens? We start traveling this new path. And there's rocks and there's all this stuff. But you know what? When you stay on the path long enough, you start to establish some ruts. And over time, that sin path starts to get some brambles and some bushes and some trees fall across the line and it starts to be a little bit less appealing. And the flesh, but I can tell you, the flesh never forgets where that path is. It always knows. And anytime you take your hand and you just drop the reins, I'm going to take a little break. Horse is like, yeah, 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 take a nap, you're good. Yeah, I got you. (laughs) Curl up. And we look up. And we're like, how did I end up? Here again. What happened? We took our eyes off the goal. Right? We look at holiness. We look at Christ waving. And we go, that's, no matter how hard it is, I'm not going to stop holding the rein. I'm going to stop, not stop fighting to be who God created me to be. See, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. But every day, our flesh is rested and strong. And if we're not spiritually fortified, he'll win. Because I can promise you, if you're starved and your horse all night long rested and drank and ate, and you were spiritually starved because you didn't open your Bible, you don't have a prayer life with God, you're not sanctified, you're not focused on being who God created you to be, you're weak. And you know what will happen in the beginning? You'll be like, come on, horse, no. Come on, I, I, no, no, horse. And boy, he's just so strong. And eventually the rain starts to slip through your hands. And you go, oh, God. All right, you win today. Just, just go. I'm done. That's most Christians in America. Sad. But that's the reality. And you know what happens? We, make, we ask these questions. Are our life choices according to God's will? Or are they according to ours? You know what answers that question? Our testimony. Look at your life. It'll answer it. Can I tell you, there are challenges ahead for us all. Enemies still yet to face. Absolutely. The question is, will we hold on to the reminders that God's given us? Right? That we need Him now more than ever. That we're to keep our eyes on completing our mission. That we're not to underestimate our enemy's strength. That we're to trust God for the victory. And the last thing, be ever mindful that our job, above all else, is to do His will. This is what we're called to do. The Lord wants us to succeed, man. He wants us to succeed for His glory.
The question is, will we live our Christian lives obediently making his priorities ours? Or will we be so consumed with what we want that the very things that God created us for and left us here to do will be left as unfinished business? We have an opportunity like never before. Darkness is a good thing for the light because the greater the darkness, the more power the light has to impact it. So if you look around your neighborhood and it's black and it's dark, man, there's no greater time to shine because you know what people that are hopeless looking for? Just a little bit of hope. How cool that God named our church. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for what you've shown us today, Lord, in using these amazing stories to the book of Joshua to reveal such incredible truths for us to understand about his journey, but also ours. Thank you for what you've shown us, for what you've taught us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be sensitive to your perfect will being accomplished in our lives. With our heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you're here today, and you say, listen, I don't know where I necessarily even stand with God. Listen, I was raised in a godless environment. It wasn't until 34 years old when somebody finally shared with me that there was an answer. There was a way out. There was hope through Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you say, listen, you know what? I might be, you might be religious. You might believe in God, but can I tell you this? Believing in God will not get you into heaven. It is putting faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. Understanding that is the key. It's a surrendered heart to a loving God who's drawing you even as we speak. And if you're watching this recorded, you're watching this live. If God's drawing you, all it takes is your willingness to let go. To respond. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a ceremony. It's a broken heart calling out to a loving God and being restored in that relationship that he created you for. If that's never happened in your life, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive that amazing, most incredible gift. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you've never received Christ as your Savior, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Again, there's no magic words. There's no ceremony. God's listening to your heart. So you can pray in your heart. You can pray in your mind. Repeat after me if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for all that I've done. I understand that amazingly you love me, that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how to come into my heart to save my soul give me a home in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for loving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I do pray and give thanks. Amen.